A reading from the book of Exodus. Thus says the Lord, you shall not molest or oppress an alien. For you were once aliens yourselves in the land of Egypt. You shall not wrong any widow or orphan. If ever you wrong them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will flare up and I will kill you with the sword. Then your own wives will be widows and your children orphans. If you lend money to one of your poor neighbors among my people, you shall not act like an extortioner toward him by demanding interest from him. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you shall return it to him before sunset. For this cloak of his is the only covering he has for his body. What else has he to sleep in? If he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love you, O Lord, my strength, O Lord, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. I love you, Lord, my strength, my strength. My God, my rock of refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Praised be the Lord, I exclaim, and I am safe. From my enemies. I love you, Lord, my strength, my strength. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. Extolled be God, my Savior. You who gave great victories to your king and showed kindness to your anointed. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, you know what sort of people we were among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Receiving the word in great affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves openly declare about us what sort of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the coming wrath. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. be with you and with your spirit a reading from the holy gospel according to matthew when the pharisees heard that jesus had silenced the sadducees they gathered together and one of them a scholar of the law tested him by asking teacher which commandment in the law is the greatest he said to him You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for just a moment. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, In a few moments, uh, we're going to do something that normally we don't do at Mass, but by the grace of God, it fits very nicely with our Gospel reading this morning, if we consider both of them together. We're going to have the anointing of the sick in our gospel reading this morning from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And both of those fit nicely together. And they also offer us much food for thought as a corrective for much that passes today as conventional wisdom. We find ourselves at this particular historical moment and at this cultural moment in the development of our society that can be described as a therapeutic or psychological culture in which everything is understood for the most part in psychological terms. When one has a problem One has to be adjusted. One is maladjusted. One has an emotional difficulty. One has to go see a therapist. 
And when we see a great evil, we say that person must be sick, they're crazy. We tend to evaluate things today through the category of the psychological. And it's often a lingering effect of the influence of Sigmund Freud back at the beginning of the 20th century. Now please understand, part of the lingering influence of Freud is that, well, there's a number of reasons. Number one, the, begin the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century was a century in which the great movement of atheistic humanism was taking place in Europe, which was exported to the United States, especially in the higher realms of education, in which you got higher education for lower purposes, especially in the philosophy departments, things like that. And atheism was humanistic because atheism had taken a turn Please follow this. Atheism had taken a turn at the end of the 19th into the 20th century. No longer was God to be denied or ignored. God was increasingly presented as the enemy of the human person. And the way in which we could become fully alive, fully human, fully developed, reach our potential, was to eliminate any belief in an organized religion, a church, because God was the stumbling block to human development, human freedom, human reason, human progress, because God was a kind of puritanical demon that and we were all sinners in the hands of an angry God, to use Jonathan Edwards' expression from back in the 16th century. And so God, his enemy, had to be jettisoned. Get rid of that, many of our problems would be solved because then we could really flower and develop as human beings. Secondly, Freud wrote a very small little book, about that big, about 110 pages, not even that, small little paperback book called The Future of an Illusion, in which religion is an illusion that the human being must outgrow because religion is basically baby talk. That is, in our insecurity and our fears, we project into the cosmos this God figure who's going to be father and take care of us. And it's an illusion. And for Freud, the answer was science, technology, and human reason, all under the direction of human freedom. Well, the 20th century has certainly made a mockery of that even if you haven't lived in the 20th century, you certainly have read about it. And what Freud did that kind of sealed the deal is that Freud 
was very much a man of his time and was deeply believing in the importance of science. And so what he did was he framed the psychoanalytic method in purely scientific terms. He came out with charts and graphs and all of those kinds of things. And that was deeply impressive to those in the academy and to the shakers and movers of public opinion. And many of Freud's ideas, as most of them do, infiltrated down into the popular culture. And many of us today unconsciously use psychological or therapeutic language in dealing with others, in dealing with ourselves. And so we live in a saturated therapeutic culture. And at the heart of this culture is that God as the enemy of man, the enemy of the human person, and our task is to focus on the self is to focus on the self. This flawed, imperfect, fallible self, neurotic to the core, but do not despair. There's hope. The hope is we will outgrow God, we will focus on ourselves, we will delve into all of the trauma that lies in the unconscious realm of our mind, bring it to the surface, deal with it, and science and technology will do the rest. And then you will have heaven on earth. That's the goal. But the foundation of the goal is the glorification of the self. And you hear people, especially in religious circles, which is quite shocking to me, we can't love God or anyone else unless we first love ourselves. My Lord, can you imagine? I don't know about you, but there's many things about me that are unlovable. That's why I'm single. No. There's a lot of other reasons. But <laughs> um, no. There's many things about us that are unlovable, unlikable that are annoying and frustrating. Ask any spouse. They'll tell you. Some of them are too quick to tell you. Uh, but we need not go into that now. We have, we have enough trouble with marriage today. Um, and it is this, this self that once, once I can accept myself for who I am, then everything will be fine. I'll be at peace. If I only had this self-acceptance, that's, that's the cornerstone. But there's many things about me that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to me. Certainly not acceptable to you. And we hear it, for example, in a very popular song, church song, by the way, which is so theologically flawed that I find it hard to even mouth the words, but I will. Notice I didn't say sing. It's, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. My Lord, do you really want peace to begin with me? Trust me, you don't. And frankly, I don't want 
piece to begin with you. Although some of you look very nice, some of you I have my doubts about, but nonetheless. Uh, no, it doesn't begin with me. But at the basis of the psychological, I have to repair myself first. Well, when we read the gospel this morning, and we really read it and listen to it, there's an entirely different dynamic and flow, isn't there? Read it. Jesus says to the question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love, all the hands go up, I'm for that. Sign me up, oh yeah, I love that love stuff. Oh God, book me passage on the love boat, I'm ready. But here comes the rub. You shall love the Lord your God. The first movement of love must always be vertical because that is the love alone that can love you unconditionally. That's the love alone that can transform you. That's the love alone that can save and redeem you. There is no human love, however intense, however profound, however deep and lasting and committed, that will ever save you. It can help. It's a great help. It's a magnificent help. But it's an extension of the divine love. It's not generated by me. It's not generated by you. It's not generated by the Pope. We are the recipient of it. The first movement of love is always vertical. And without that love, all other loves are distorted. All other loves carry the tinge of manipulation, control, power, have lingering effects of resentment, of getting my way, of easily being hurt and bruised, offended, the divine love is the first move of all genuine love. It's vertical. The second, you shall love your neighbor. It's horizontal. Because if I don't get the love of God loving me unconditionally in spite of myself, with all of my sins and my flaws, it affects the horizontal. Because if I don't have the love of God, which at its heart is a forgiving love, I can never forgive the other. I will always harbor some tinge of resentment and anger. But it is divine love that says, come as you are, and you will be loved. But in that love, you will not have to stay as you are. You will not have to sit there and be complacent. You will not have to sit there and be self-satisfied. You will not have to sit there and be guilt-ridden because that love has cleansed you and transformed you it has also filled you with a sense 
that you have been forgiven. And so you are to forgive others. As we say in the Our Father, if we don't race through it, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. There's a mutuality there. But without that divine love, it always carries, however dormant it may seem, the germ of a tainted love because I am its origin and source. And when you have the vertical and the horizontal, you have the cross, the supreme act of divine love. Not because we're good, not because we deserve it, not because we're virtuous, but because of our great need. God loves us because of our need. God loves us because God is that divine love. God is love itself. And the supreme expression of that love is the sending of his only son to suffer and die for us that we may have life and have it in abundance. As St. Paul says, while we were yet enemies of God, enemies of God, God proved his love for us that he sent his own son. The first two movements of love, horizontal, vertical, come together to form the symbol of the ground of all genuine, lasting, transforming love. Your neighbor as yourself. I can't possibly love myself if I do not have the unconditional love of God. And if I have that unconditional love of God, I truly love my neighbor because I truly desire what is good for my neighbor because it is good. Not what's in it for me, not what I'm getting out of it, not how can I manipulate, how can I reach some goal by stepping on this person, and as soon as I've used them, I discard them. I love them because, like me, they're flawed, sinful, and yet forever made in the image and likeness of God who is love. And I see in them my own self. As you love yourself, so you love your neighbor. And you can do that because you have been filled with the divine love of Almighty God. That's the three movements of love. The vertical, the horizontal, and the existential, the inward. God, others, self. It's not a therapeutic model. It's not the psychological model. It's the divine model revealed in Jesus Christ. And in a few minutes, 
people will come up and they will receive an anointing of those who are sick. Anointing of the sick. But actually, every Saturday in this church, every Saturday in this church, from 2.30 to 3.30, there is anointing and healing. It's called confession. Let me tax you one more time. There are three movements there that correspond to the three loves. We call, sac we call penance, we call the sacrament, we receive penance. Call it confession, call it reconciliation. And we use them interchangeably. But they're a process. It begins with the sacrament of confession. I must acknowledge my sinfulness, my falling short of the glory of God, vertically and horizontally. And I can risk doing that because it corresponds to the divine love, which says, come as you are. Come as you are. Don't hide. You're not going to be condemned, cast out, thrown away. But you come as you are, because I love you as you are. It is penance. It is genuine contrition and sorrow for the offense against God and the offense against others. I have offended first and foremost God in whose image and likeness I'm called to become. And that has affected others. And then it is reconciliation. Genuine reconciliation is the result of being right with God, right with others, and then right inwardly. And then we shall know that peace that the world cannot give and cannot take away because it does not begin with me. It begins with the divine love made visible on the cross. There is our anointing. It's anointing available for us when we open our whole being to God as we are and as God's love will call us and allow us to become what we were always meant to be, God's image and likeness among each other. And then that guilt, that anxiety, those fears are driven away. As the first letter of St. John says, perfect love drives out all fear. For where there is love, there is no fear. Love is the antidote to fear, and fear is the great driving force of sin. It is ours for the orphan. It is ours from the God who is love. 
let us come as we are and open our whole being each day to the God who loves us now and wants to love us into eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.